0: Before we start our year-end review, we have another shout-out for a local business. In these dark months of winter, we all need cheering up, and nothing cheers me up more than a Welsh cake made to a traditional recipe. That is why I am so glad we have the Welsh cake lady in our area. She is one of the joys of the Stroud Farmer's Market. All her flavours of Welsh cake, both sweet and savoury, are cooked on a traditional bakestone which has been in her family for generations. It goes without saying they all taste fantastic. The Welsh Lady can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and in Farmer's Market in Stroud, Cheltenham and Nailsworth. Check out those Welsh cakes. You will not be disappointed. One final comment, which comes from the Welsh Cake Lady's website, and I love it so much, I'm going to quote it. We are close enough for a boat to the green grass of home whenever we feel like we need a top up of Welshness. And now we go from that wonderful comment to working with English people.
1: Thanks a bunch, mate.
0: (laughs) OK, on with the show. Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews.
1: In our year-end show, the one where the contributors discuss 2020, trying to salvage something good out of the wreckage.
2: Before we do that, we've included a late review. One film is a late Christmas present
0: for Graham. Sorry, Graham. (laughs) Nothing to be sorry about. (laughs) It's the gift that keeps on giving. And speaking of one film as an added bonus, Darren will be revealing to you which film from this year's Darren's Dash is the one you simply cannot afford to miss. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Well, we made it to the end of 2020, a year unlike any other in our lifetime. It's a time of celebration and not for my cheap jokes. Those return next year, and Neil, for one, can't wait.
2: Mm,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies.
2: Hi, my name is Neil, and I just want to say Jeff is right... up Wait a minute, you, will you stop changing my notes, Jeff?
3: Hi, my name is <laughs> Phil, and you can find more about my film tastes via my blog page on the Blog at wordpress.com.
4: Hi, my name is Darren, and you can find out more about my film tastes on halfguarded.com.
0: Thank you very much, guys. So before we talk about 2020, a year in film... We have this late Christmas present for Graham. Here we go, mate. We all club together to get this for you.
1: A Mel Gibson movie review. Jeff, didn't you torture me enough with all those questions in the advent calendar? Remember, Christmas is meant to be a time of goodwill to all men.
0: Yeah, including Mel. He's not human. (laughs) We couldn't miss a chance to sneak in one review. And it had to be Mel Gibson's Christmas film, Fat Man. I don't know what I'm doing wrong.
2: I've lost my influence. Maybe it's time I retired the coat. Kids with a deer rifle put two holes in the sleigh, one in me. All I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. <sighs> United States military would like to procure your services. This is a one time deal, gentlemen.
4: You just a big time, Fat Man!
1: What's the job?
4: I'd like you to kill Santa
0: Claus. I've come for your head,
2: Fat Man! Dashing through the snow. One horse open, You think you're the first? Oh, the we think I got this job because I'm fat and
0: jolly? All the, way. Jingle bells, jingle
4: bells, jingle bells.
0: the fat man in question is Santa Claus, as played by the Mel. <laughs> it's not your average portrayal of the seasonal hero, though. This is a Santa who has fallen on hard times. He's disillusioned, drinks too much, and is bitter at the world in general. Wow, you can see why Graham likes him, can't you? business. Business in our cynical world is so bad, he has to agree to a contract with the American military. This, however, is not the worst of his problems, as one very naughty child has hired a hitman to kill the fat man. Phil,
3: is this a present worth getting or just a lump of coal? Um, this is absolutely a present worth getting. Um, every now and then there's a little gem of an alternate Christmas movie and I think this is one of them. It takes the Nolan Batman model where it decides we'll take a fantasy story and we'll ground it as much as possible in the real world and we get to see them ask questions like, what diet will make elves work 24 hours a day <laughs> and what are the economics of being Santa in a cynical world? It still mixes in the wonder of Santa and Christmas spirit and has little subtle touches such as Chris knowing about everyone's childhood and families. And the key thing that's so good about it is got two really good central performances. So Mal Gibson shows he's still a movie star and has charisma as this gruff Santa and Walton Goggins hitman is a genius creation. I think Goggins is watchable in about just about everything he does but his bitter and twisted psychopath who just loves his hamster so much it's just brilliant <laughs> um. And I think that kind of sums up how kooky this film is, actually. If I were going to gripe about it, I'd say it falls a little between stools. So it's funny in places, but it's not a comedy. And it has action sequences specifically at the end. And they're quite good action sequences, but it's not an action movie. And it does have the the Christmas wonder that a Christmas film needs in places as well. It doesn't do any of those like really well, but it does each of them sort of just a little bit. Kind of like a modern day Grimm's fairy tale that t- tells us that Saint Nick is just not the benign saint that we would all like him to be. So, what did you think of that
0: relationship between Mel Gibson and Marine Jean Baptiste?
3: Oh, I thought it was great because you've got this husband and wife who've clearly been together for hundreds of years. You can only assume, and they look out for each other. So she can see him just getting more and more grumpy and cynical with the world. And she kind of just steers him gently into the sort of, you know, into the right frame of mind because after all, he's Santa. I thought it was you know, a nice little loving thing. And just like with everything in the film, it's not overtly in your face. It's just little subtle touches that kind of just show you that they're a couple that have been together and she knows what she needs to do to to help him. Obviously,
0: we all know this was a present for Graham, and I'm sure he will take that present in the spirit. It was intended. Graham, what are your thoughts on the film? I thought it was shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And not just shit in places, shit from beginning to end. I thought it was terrible. (laughs) At one point he says, all I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. And I said, I thought to myself, All I have is a loathing for a world that hasn't forgotten you, Mel. I wish they would hurry up and forget you. I thought it was dreadful. I thought it was cheap. I thought it was badly paced. I thought it was mean-spirited. I thought it was very cynical. I agree with Phil. It just doesn't know what it is. Is it an action movie? Is it, you know... I don't remember the last film I saw where Santa is coughing up blood from a chest shot. You know, it was just horrible. And You've not and, seen and, Rare Exports then, have you? No, <laughs> I haven't seen Rare Exports, but it is on my list. But, I mean, people keep saying, oh, it's, it's like Bad Santa. No, it's not like Bad Santa. Bad Santa is clever and witty and on point and is really well well thought out and has some really engaging and and, and quite fun characters. I thought it was shocking. I thought it was all over the place. It was a clever idea, but we had the Goggins character, Jonathan Miller, his character. Uh, You know, he has a hamster and then the hamster disappears. You know, it it was running on a little track, the front of his car, and then we have 20 other shots of him in his car and the, the hamster's nowhere to be seen. And there was just lots and lots of stuff like that. This one man able to take on... Sort of a whole platoon of soldiers
0: on his sorry, own. Sorry, can I just check? You're worried about a disappearing hamster. <laughs> I am. What, what, what's your name? What's your name? And is he, this is yeah. Mel
2: Gibson. What
0: do you think?
3: <laughs>
2: happened?
1: <laughs> yeah, was it, he probably ate the hamster. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was caring about the little things, Jeff, while you were just loving the gore and watching Mel Gibson. I'm I'm really worried about you and Mel Gibson, actually. Okay, Jeff. I'm not sure where you're going with that. It's another step on Mel Gibson's inevitable decline and disappearance from the cinema world, which can't come soon enough for me. That would be a great Christmas present.
0: Many of our listeners at this stage will be quite shocked at what Graham says. <laughs> I don't think there so. Are, there are reasons for this. And I have been very fortunate to have been sent a copy for, by a letter that was written to Graham by Mel's agent. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll read it out to you and, and, and you'll understand why Graham has got a downer on this film after this. <laughs> So, here we dear, go. Dear Graham.
1: We Do you are, want the Jack and Ori music at this point. <laughs> <laughs> can I can edit that in.
0: Dear Graham, <laughs> we are always pleased to hear from Mel's number one fan, and we are delighted <laughs> that you have shown such an interest in his latest film. We also believe Fat Man is going to become a future Christmas classic. While we are pleased that you are offering your services at no fee to appear in this film, we have unfortunately to turn down your offer at this stage. I am sure Mel would have loved to have worked alongside the founder member of his fan club. However, you are just too short to play one of the elves. Maybe starting. <laughs> <this> time. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I hate this joke, always
1: works. That's, doesn't that's, it, Jeff?
2: that's touching.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, or, yeah, or touched. Uh, yeah, touched. The person who wrote it's touched, I can tell you that for a time.
0: Well, that's Mel's agent uh, that you would say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Neil, are you going to be... I agree with Graham, or I so, agree Well,
2: with Bill. I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, <coughs> a Mel Cribson film, fantastic. <laughs> so there's there's a head-spinning plot that tries to be many things without actually being any one of them. As Phil said, it's Santa connected with his inner action hero. There's a commentary on children today, a drunk Father Christmas, getting across with people, an impoverished Santa, having to accept money from the US military. It's a partly bad Santa, but never actually being reaching the heights or maybe depths of that film. That said, I thought Mel Gibson was okay. Walter Goggins is very good. It's funny in places. It doesn't play for laughs. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be funny. It rushes about hither and thither without worrying about being any good. Uh, But there is something there. Irritatingly, relative newcomers Ian and Esham Nelms have a, made a movie that just potters along on a plot that doesn't bear any inspection, with Mel flipping Gibson as Santa, and it's bonkers. And I, trouble is, I laughed out loud twice. Damn it! Now, it's watchable. I found it quite watchable, and I honestly, I just, I quite enjoyed it. There, I said it. Don't <laughs> quote me. Okay, yeah. please don't quote me.
1: I'm, I'm not cross, Neil. I'm just
2: disappointed. Yeah, disappointed. <laughs> yeah. But there I, is a thing. There is a thing. I mean, I, I Gerald Butler and Bruce Willis are currently do, redoing movies, the same movie, over and over again, big budget stuff, and it's crap. But at least... Mel Gibson's sort of doing these sort of indie little things, which are sort of interesting in some ways. So I suppose he should be sort of applauded for that rather than doing what the others are doing.
0: Phil, your idea about letting the director know that we were doing this review, I think... (laughs) think (laughs) LAUGHTER
3: Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, oh, shit the director is um retweeting and commenting on anybody who's posting like reviews and um, oh, no. podcasts Good. of this film. Good.
1: Maybe it'll get through the mail.
3: And I said to <laughs> Jeff that, um, when we put it live, <laughs> we should just tag him on one of the things saying, like, to <laughs> to. and when, when you started your review, I did think, hmm, maybe we might have to give him a bit of a heads up. <laughs> <not liking laughs> <our people. laughs>
1: Right, right. I'm going
4: for it now. I can tell you,
0: <laughs> yeah. Darren, inject a note of sanity, please.
4: Um, the thing is, when when I watched this, I had a feeling that I was going to enjoy it because I've got a real taste for and and I'm very patient with wacky, cheap B movies which are action based. I'm, I'm very forgiving of them. I, I generally enjoy them. And this said that all over it, the idea of Mel Gibson as a gun-toting miserable Father Christmas shooting uh, Hitman, I thought, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. And I was actually surprised how well it actually worked for me. Mel Gibson in action movies is one of probably one of my little guilty pleasures. Uh, I, I do I think he's got a lot of presence, providing he's not in a film talking about dictionaries for two hours. I thought this was <laughs> a fresh take on on Father Christmas, and they actually created a, a really good concept of fitting Father Christmas into the you know the regular Christmas f- festivities as this figure that everybody knew he was there, and that he was basically like leaving either a gift or a piece of coal. The gift normally just something simple, but was meant to inspire kids. I thought that was quite a really nice thing. One of my favourite scenes was the bit where um, Santa's wife, when she was trying to remind him why he does what he does, when she left some files for him to show the um, like past kids he would inspire, like for example a little girl who'd given a, uh, a little ambulance to uh, one year she actually grew up to be an ambulance driver and i thought that was like a, re- a really sweet little scene the thing that got me about this uh, was i really started to care about the characters partly because they had two absolutely wonderful villains i thought the kid was great i mean it was like a little mini donald trump not since Joffrey in Game of Thrones have I actually wanted to throttle a kid like I did him. He was so, <laughs> he was so obnoxious and nasty. So I actually wanted worse things to happen to him. I really would have been happy with him getting a you know a bullet in the head or a you know a coal shoved down his throat. I, 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 I just hated this. Steady but that, on, but that to me worked. It meant, it meant I was invested. I wanted to see the bad guys, uh, you know, get in theirs and. Same went for Walter Goggins as, as the hitman. I thought he was a really good character. He was a bit scary, had this sort of like weird thing with his hamster and everything. But they also gave him a little thing that you got some like believable motivation in him when he, you heard of his background and you had a sort of a reason why he was so bitter but he himself had this like really awful upbringing. And when it got down to the action at the end, the, the big showdown, I was actually really nervous for, 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 for Santo. I really wanted him to, you know, to win out in the end. And a small budget movie, but it felt to me like they spent a lot of time like, you know, trying to make something with, you know, a bit of creativity. For anyone who wants a, a different sort of Christmas movie, I think it did have a little heart to it and you know, and was a lot of fun and also had some real great I, I personally was was really glad we watched this one.
0: Certainly agree with all of your points. I don't know if i go so far as wanting the kid dead, but uh, <laughs> you certainly deserves. Oh, it.
1: I'm with you on that one. I'm with yeah. you on that one.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. I, and, and take the rest of the cast out too. I
0: think, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I, I will read that letter out again, Graham, to remind <laughs> everybody why you feel like this. The thing for me with this film, do you remember, ever, you remember a film from the mid-'80s called Santa Claus the Movie with David Huddleston as Santa Claus? John yep. Lithgow as this commercial villain. This film is almost a spiritual sequel to that. You know, that was Santa's early days, if you like. This is Santa now in our more cynical and nastier age. This is what he's become, a gun toad in, work for the American military, ready to kill if need to, sort of uh, Father Christmas, and has lost that spirit of Christmas. And I think through the relationship of Mel Gibson and Marine Jean Baptiste, it's rekindled i i believed in that i i thought that was was really good it doesn't all work uh, there's a lot of ideas thrown in there it would like to be bad santa but it doesn't quite go far enough neil made those points earlier which i think are quite right but when it works it really really does work and as darren has said the, the shootout at the end is excellent you really didn't know which way and and when and this is a spoiler alert when Father Christmas is shot, you're thinking, is that really the end? Is, is this how they're going to end this film? I was quite impressed. For me, more up-to-date references, there's a lot of rare exports in this. It's got that sort of feel, I think, with the, the way they used its locale up in Canada. has that sparseness that rare exports has and that edge of nastiness to it as well. It isn't perfect but I think this does stand a good chance to be a future Christmas classic, one of those oh, God, brought man. out every Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's a shame, really, when you're at one of those family festive dues and you hand somebody a present and they basically throw it back in your face. It's, it's just bad <laughs> Christmas sportsmanship and the rest of us have enjoyed in that present. It's a shame that the recipient has just taken it in such bad <laughs> Ebony Descrooge spirit. Bah humbug.
3: Yes.
0: <clears throat> Neil.
2: After our special treat for Graham, sorry, Graham. Let's <laughs> talk about 2020.
1: There's been a joke circulating this year where Doc Brown speaks to Marty in Back to the Future and says, whatever you do, don't go to 2020. Having lived through it, I can concur completely. Life has been anything but normal. And for cinemas, it could turn out to be a year with far-reaching consequences. Let's turn our reviewers into panellists and find out their thoughts on the year. Where do we go from here? And were there any good films amongst the slim few that were released in cinemas or on streaming? Let's start with Neil, who had his cinema and golfing life completely shattered by the year. Neil, your thoughts from 2020.
2: Ah, 2020, eh? What a shit show. <laughs> but it started so well. I'm in Film of the Year Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, Little Women. We've had a smattering of great films, many more good ones. But where can I go from there? I'll try and put some silver lining onto the many cinema-based clouds of 2020. I was watching the awesome Queen's Gambit again on Netflix the other day, and it occurred to me that we may be at the start of a new wave of very capable young female stars, Anya Taylor-Joy, has this year starred in Emma, stolen every scene she was in in New Mutants and, of course, been outstanding in the aforementioned Queen's Gambit. Mini Bobby Brown, excellent in Stranger Things without having much dialogue and is fantastic in the most fun film of 2020 for me, Netflix's Enola Holmes. Florence Pugh started the year in The Excellent Little Women after being in one of the best indie films of 2019, Fighting With My Family. Olivia Cooke, ready player 1 and the upcoming Pixie, Daphne Keane, BBC's his dark materials now in its second season, following her breakout role in Logan, Erin Doherty, the South London actress currently stealing scenes as Princess Anne in The Crown. There's a change Uh, And that's just some of the British actresses. And as we look forward to 2021, yet more tired films starring even tireder old has-beens, Gerard Butler and Bruce Willis, to name but two. More bloody clouds coming. That said, two recent Netflix films, The Old Guard, Charlize Theron and Kiki Lane, and Ava, Jessica Chastain, while not perfect, are at the very least considerably better than that tired old crap. Silver Linings again. What if cinema's only open in the largest, most profitable places. New blockbuster, i.e. expensive films, are being pushed further and further into the future. Bond, Marvel, Dune, etc., male action heroes in male action films doing the same thing repeatedly. Sure, there'll be exciting and IMAX-worthy events, and Wonder Woman 1984 will be a notable exception. But what then? Is that it? The cinemas are to reopen and regain profitability. A culture change is required and 2020 has provided guidance. There's a limit to how many action films will be available. Who's been making films this year? The studios need to take a long, hard look at the streaming services and how they do it. The cinemas need to start asking Netflix, for example for some of their time in their theatres before going on to TVs, perhaps. If the streaming services keep making movies and TV that changes the way we see action heroes, at the very least, they deserve our praise and the old studios need to pay attention. And while I've concentrated on Netflix, I need to add, of course, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, the excellent Greyhound starring Tom Hanks and others. Have these companies stolen cinema from us or are they the future that cinema needs to heed? The world is changing and not everything is bad. Of course, I've just brushed aside the whole shit show I started with. For numbing the pain, I would like to applaud again the streaming services for not only providing respite, but also taking up the slack, while the cinemas closed, opened and then closed again, but also for offering a glimpse into a brighter future with new female stars in great roles and, if played correctly, a future for our cinemas.
0: Right. So, Neil, let me just summarise your stream of consciousness you just came out
2: <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no. it did um, come out of no. that. Yeah,
0: and what you're saying is too many action films and I haven't looked at enough women this year. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, it's not. No,
2: <laughs> it's not. But the point is that they weren't. Why are we coming out with this crap again?
0: But But with all due respect, the Bruce Willis films... Even if we'd had a brilliant cinema year in 2020, wouldn't have ever gone to cinema. They're going straight to streaming or DVD.
2: Maybe um, if we're going to open cinemas again and we're going to get people in, they're going to have to start looking at the way that Netflix and Apple TV are doing TV and particularly films. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they allow us to watch films for free for having paid a subscription. I know we have a Cineworld card mm. um, that allows us to go and watch watch films. But
0: well, while we hope there's a Cineworld,
2: yeah, well, <laughs> we hope is left. But the point is that if we're going to allow, pe- going to get people back into cinemas to watch indie films or or maybe a film that the reviewers don't quite like, then they've got to reduce their prices, perhaps. They've got to think about this because the cinemas will just go under and we won't have any more. That silver lining will just disappear. Streaming service is saving us this year for, for cinema goers.
3: One of the things I don't like about streaming service, I agree with what you're saying. I really struggle to find the good films on streaming services mm. because they don't have that kind of like event of this is their release date or, and you know, you can only see it in that week or two after it comes out. Yeah. So one of the things I'd like the streaming services to do better is somehow turn films into more of like an event in terms of actually this is coming out this date, you know, so that you can watch it. Because what I find with a streaming service, if I don't know about it in its first sort of opening week or what have you it kind of goes on to that backlog of Mm. of just never get smaller (laughs) films i'd like to watch
2: (laughs) yeah i mean greyhound arrived with a whimper didn't it and it's a
3: cracking film i think i watched that about four or five months after it came out and when i watched it i thought it was brilliant uh darren anything you want to add to this
4: yeah i mean i think when it comes to the um publicising the films more, I think they mm-hmm. are getting better. The Old Guard was one that there was quite a lot of hype about that one, and and I've, I've noticed as well that they seem to have fallen into a, a pattern of releasing like the the bigger homegrown movies on a Friday. That seems to be the day, you know, we're trying to make that the day mm-hmm. to come and look for the, the films. And I think Trial of the Chicago 7 was, was the same for that. So I think they are giving that a go, but they, they could do more I mean, I mean one one thing I did notice was a, a lot of the films that I, I knew about like Greyhound were, were films I'd seen trailers for in the cinema I think we need to look into that and, and try to do something so that you are you know aware of these movies like if they were to manage to, to get a Bond movie or I know apparently they, they made a big offer to get Kong vs Godzilla if they actually did get a big one I'm sure they would basically you know go all out on that
0: well, thank you guys for that. Uh, let's go over to Phil for his review of 2020.
3: Yeah, so 2020 may be the year that um, changes the cinematic landscape forever. Studios have been frozen, not really knowing what to do with their films and had release dates and delayed and had release dates and delayed. The only um, studio that's actually kind of made an announcement, which is Warner Brothers, seem to have done it. And annoyed everybody, <laughs> including all <the> filmmakers <laughs> in the process. So it'd be interesting to see how that all pans out. You know, with all those studios frozen, not knowing what to do, and all of what you've just said about streaming, it is a, a worry and a wonder about what's going to happen. Cineworld, who um, I will admit I, that's who I have my annual pass with, so them being open is a big deal to me. And um, were open, I worked it out my local was open for 148 days this year. That's it, um, which is less than half a year. For the first time in seven years, I will have seen less than 100 films at the cinema. In fact, I've seen less than 50 at the cinema, and it's the lowest amount of films I've seen at the cinema this century. And I know they're all stats and numbers and stuff, but if I'm honest, I've really struggled without the cinema. It's odd, actually. You don't really know how much you kind of rely on something um, until it's not there. You know, the cinema means a great deal to me, and hopefully you kind of hear that in the passion that I talk about films. And for it to not be there this year has actually been you know, really hard work and just trying to find films on all those streaming services and to try and fit them into my life. Because it's actually harder, believe it or not, with a wife and kids to watch a film on a streaming service when you've got to do the washing up and put the bins out and all those sorts of things. <laughs> as opposed to actually saying, I'm going to go to the cinema at this time and then you're in a dark room and nothing can bother you. It's a weird thing to try and adjust to. So ignoring all those depressing thoughts, have we seen any good films? Well, I think we have. Um, And actually, I've seen an awful lot of TV as well this year. So at the beginning part of the year, before all the lockdowns and everything changed, we had Jojo Rabbit, Queen and Slim, A Hidden Life, which is one of my favourites this year, Parasite, Uncut Gems and The Lighthouse. And then recently... Most of these, I think, on streaming services, we've had The Five Bloods, Baby Teeth, Enola Holmes, which Neil mentioned, Mm -hmm. St. Maud, which I know some of you guys don't like, but I really enjoyed it. The Trial of the Chicago 7, and more recently, Mank, which is David Fincher's latest, something that maybe would never have got to cinemas, um, if you listen to what Fincher said about how studios treated him when he said how he wanted to make that film. So, you know, streaming services are great and they offer us those different things. I did also, you know, because I've seen so much television this year, I did manage to watch, I think it was all 15 series of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia during lockdown one, which is about 140 <laughs> episodes, I think, of TV. which <laughs> nuts. But Dedication. The, but the best things on TV this year, if, you, if you're going to get round to anything, was Alex Garland's Devs, which was on BBC, or if you're in America, I think it was Hulu, and then Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves, which yep. was HBO Max and Sky Atlantic, I think. And Neil just mentioned it, The Queen's Gambit, which I thought was really, really good. But what I'm looking forward to next year, you know, fingers crossed, cinemas will be open again. The world will go back to some relative normalness, maybe not in the first half of the year, but hopefully later on. And I'm really looking forward to the same films I was looking forward to last year, which are <laughs> Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, Dennis Villeneuve's Dune, The New Bond, the Top Gun sequel, And I think last year I was was looking forward to a couple of Marvel films. I think now it will be four Marvel films in next year. So, you know, I I hope it will get better and I hope we'll all be able to safely go back to cinemas again.
0: Thank you, Phil. I mean, one of the interesting things I pick up from that is obviously the importance of streaming's had this year. But Do you think streaming, when it gives you high quality, and particularly a lot of the Netflix, that will feed that interest in cinema. So when they reopen, it will get people back in, much like video did with cinema in the
3: 80s. I think I'm not the right person to ask. I'm a bit down on the whole thing, really, in terms of how it will pan out, because certainly the younger people I speak to Yeah, they they don't care that cinemas are closed because they're happy to watch stuff on streaming or um, on the various hooky channels that people watch things on. I think that when cinemas reopen, it will have the same audience it's always had. I don't think that it it will get people who've suddenly been watching a lot of stuff on Netflix because those people have got used to watching Netflix whilst laying in bed or on the sofa. They're not going to go to the cinema if that's what they got used to.
0: But the key on all of this will be Bond. They cannot move Bond again. I mean, if they move it again, streaming will have it.
3: I suspect that we won't see Cineworld reopen in the UK until Bond comes out.
0: I personally think Cineworld will open in March in preparation for that, as more and more the vaccine rolls out. I think the first two months are pretty much a write-off. But I think after that, we'll start to see things return to normal.
3: One of the things I was going to say, actually, to everyone who does listen to this is talking about that, I I miss things that are on streaming services. Is um, Your audience can tell us, you know, what are those gems that are on Apple or Amazon? I mean, Amazon has the worst like u- user yeah. interface I've ever seen. Absolutely like, terrible. Yeah, if, if people think that there are these little great films on those services, tell us, because I'm interested.
0: Thank you for that, Phil. So, over to me. I've been going to the cinema regularly for forty-six years, starting in nineteen seventy-five. And that first year, I saw eighty-eight films in the cinema, and it was just cinema then. But we had the advantage of double bills. So, where I grew up in Pontypool, we had two cinemas: the White Palace and the County. So, I could technically see four films a week in the two cinemas if they both play double bills. And once a month I went down to Cardiff, so potentially certain weeks I could see five. In the end, uh, with schooling and all those other things getting in the way, I ended up with a total of 88. This year I've I've had cinema and I've counted some of the films I've seen on streaming and I've only got to 68. I'm going to disagree with, uh, well I'm probably going to upset a few people certainly on this. By saying that even if cinemas remained open, I don't think this would have been a great year. I don't think the films were lining up to be good anyway. I mean, if you look back in 1975 when I started, you had films like Brannigan with John Wayne, fantastic, <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. You had Posse, a, uh, a political western starring Kirk Douglas and Bruce Dern, which is an amazing film, and also had one of the an actor who was immortalised in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, James Stacy. One of the greatest movies ever made, The Tower of Inferno, came out that year. Yeah, with McQueen, Paul Newman. They don't have stars like that these days. And a cult classic for me, and you don't have cult classics anymore, Barry McKenzie Holds His Own. Oh, it is good
2: grief. one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> and even, <laughs> right. even if you have your brain, surely uh, I... it's
0: terrible. No, no like, let me explain. Barry McKenzie Holds His Own was filmed in Castle Cork
3: in <laughs> South Wales. It's a Welsh, That's Welsh film. Of
0: course, it is. It's, oh God! It had Donald Pleasance's as Dracula. Clive James was a foster drinking lager lout in the film. It was just wonderful fun. I
2: Can't believe you're holding Barry McKenzie holds <laughs> his own Look, up I'm against gonna, whatever's on this year.
0: I'm going to talk about some of the films I've had to suffer this year in a minute.
2: Oh no! But here we go. To
0: that, <laughs> this is how relevant Barry McKenzie holds his own is to today, right? He gets stranded in Europe and has to sneak back into Britain. So he sneaks back in over with a boatload of illegal immigrants who get off the boat and immediately go into an exchange to sign up for all the benefits they get in Britain. Oh,
1: God, this is a Brexit movie.
0: It opened my eyes, this film. <laughs> uh, whereas, what have we had this year? Saint Maud, a really film good. about. A miserable Welsh woman who doesn't know her own mind. Broken Hearts Gallery, a film which starred a miserable, slightly overweight lady. I'll leave it there, I think. Neil, I don't need to say any more. I I wish you wouldn't. From a cinema point of view, to be honest, the condom was poor, but I enjoyed wearing a mask. You know, sitting there mainly in cinemas on my own. I thought that was quite good. Yeah, that wasn't so bad, was it? I I could do that this (laughs) Been in contact with people, and you know, we had epics in the 70s when this started, like The Terran Inferno. What have you got today? Films like Tenant, Bollock Masterpiece, no sense whatsoever. And even BBC radio presenters who've never seen it agree with me.
4: <laughs> I'm to me agree with you if they've not I've seen it. it. <laughs> no, in- I I thank you, I don't ask, yes.
2: This is Jeff World. <laughs> <laughs> don't
1: don't go applying logic here yeah.
0: no would Dune have been any good is Denny Villeneuve for God's sake the guy's not made a good film yet um <sighs>
3: <sighs> oh <laughs> man get your it's knives like, out get your it, knives it, out
1: it's like your grumpy old uncle who comes around at Christmas gets pissed and sits in the corner and moans about people
2: yeah that's yeah, it like, don't like them make, make them like they did in the old days yeah, I mean
0: Gone well, with the wind. <laughs> by... gone with, absolutely, gone with the wind. Yeah, they knew how to hold the premiere. Didn't invite certain other cast along because yeah, uh, because she, <laughs> she was black. No, no, that was shocking. That was in uh, Atlanta, wasn't it? I think Atlanta,
1: Georgia. Oh, places <laughs> place has not moved from on much. <laughs>
0: yeah. Then you've got films that could have been good. Rather than hold them back to put into the cinema next year, they stuff them out on streaming Mulan. $30 to watch this. Anybody seen it?
2: Yes, saw it the other day. It was free.
0: Any good? It's
2: okay. I mean, I, I think I would prefer the, the cartoon. cartoon one. But actually, it's not that bad.
0: Who did the music on the animated film? Uh, it was Jerry Goldsmith. So it's bound uh, to be fair. The Witches. Phil, I haven't read your review yet. Did you like it?
3: Um, it falls into the same category as Mulan. It's okay. It's fine.
0: No. I wasn't a, a fan of Nicholas Roeg's version all those years ago. So, I, and I, and I love Zemeckis' work. So, I am looking forward to that one. But to me, that should have been a cinema film. And Warner Brothers, or shall we call them by their real name, AT and T, decided to set out. No one company campaigned to, to wreck cinema for uh, immediate personal gratification. So, oh,
1: actually, I do agree with that. Hang on, that's bad. That's
0: and
3: actually, you mm-hmm. agree with Denis Villeneuve on something, then, will not you? Because he he wrote a letter to Variety, um, yeah, and saying that. sort of yeah. the same thing.
0: And Chris Nolan, and by the way, do you guys know Chris Nolan's a huge fan of which film franchise? Oh, I know,
3: Fast and the Furious,
0: he is a big fan of Fast and the Furious, like Graham, he loves the VIN, <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. People say, is this the end of the cinema? Well, you look back at 1919 and they tried to close cinemas then. It didn't work then. I don't think it's going to work now. I'm optimistic about the future of cinema, to be honest. And I think that when we're unleashed from this unfortunate captivity that we have to be in to save lives, I think cinema is going to get a huge boost next year. You may say to me, Jeff, is there anything you like this year? And I say... Yes, Graham. There's <laughs> <laughs> much I like this year. But let me give you my top three films in reverse order. The Trial of the Chicago 7. It was political. I enjoyed that a great deal. Judy. I only caught up with it earlier, earlier in the year. I was really impressed by this take on Judy Garland. And I thought Rennie Zellweger well deserved the Oscar for that wonderful performance. But my film of the year was Bombshell which looked at the whole Fox News issue and the way that they treated women, which was disgusting. No woman should be treated like that. I was genuinely shocked by the whole thing. Changed my opinion of things. What are you lot laughing at? We <laughs> were waiting for the horrendous <laughs> hit. Just, the <laughs> just waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's actually a scene in Bombshell, which is one of the most uncomfortable scenes I've seen in a film in many a year. And nothing really happens in that scene, but you know what's going to happen. So I thought that was good. I think the sad thing with cinemas closed and reopening temporarily and closing again is, I just don't think the standard of film that's been out there has been that good, with one exception, which was Unhinged. And I think Unhinged, which I now have a copy of on physical media, is a wonderful film. It has a very sad ending where the hero is killed. (laughs)
1: God almighty. He's not saying he's your like your go-to person.
0: He was trying to be the gentleman. If <laughs> yeah. we had people like that in this world this day, we would not be in the state we're in. If you are unhinged. Yeah. I pass that open to any comments.
2: The problem with cinema opening is we're wholly dependent on um action films, big action films, um very expensive action films. And that's dependent on America. So as cinemas might open, if America's don't, we ain't going to be getting those films.
0: I I think that's true. I mean, uh, Biden's got a huge vaccine programme to roll out in January. Mm. And if he hits the targets he's aiming at, then I I think we are going to see may
2: We may just survive this. Good. Yeah.
3: I'd just like to say that um, I've never heard of or seen Barry McKenzie hold his own.
2: Well, well done. I have. And it's... (laughs) um, I, I. I nearly had to put my eyes out. I, I have
0: a physical copy of the disc, Phil. <laughs> of oh, course my you DVD
3: player is broken. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Darren, well said. Darren, you're into impressive cinema from foreign lands. Have you seen Barry McKenzie holds it up?
4: Uh, I've actually got a documentary about Australian um, genre movies, and there's a whole, if it's the one I'm thinking of, there's a whole um, section on that. Is there a scene where he sleeps with the Queen? Am I mean, I'm thinking of the right film here?
0: I think that might be in the original Barry McKenzie.
4: Yeah, right, I think The guy who plays Dame Everidge as a, as a supporting character in Yeah, yeah I, th- I, th- I think I know yes, the film that it you're does. on about. Yeah.
0: Wonderful film. And for some reason, they don't show it on TV anymore. Oh, I wonder why. It's because they're cultural elitists in the BBC. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> ITV
0: don't show it, either.
1: That, can you just substitute the word
4: taste? You know, they've got taste, is what you mean, not cultural. Yeah.
0: Well, after that, Darren, your review of the year.
4: Before I start, I just want to say I realise and I respect the fact that a lot of people in 2020 lost a hell of a lot more than me in terms of health and in terms of business. Yeah. um well said. But, but okay. I'm, I am going to talk about you know what what it did for my for, for cinema, basically. And I really do think that COVID really took something from me this year. It took away my uh, my number one hobby. You know, and I realised that I've sort of I've built my life a lot around cinema. in two thousand eighteen, I keep a log of all my, my films I see at the cinema. Two thousand eighteen, I saw one hundred and thirteen films, different films. In two thousand nineteen, I saw one hundred and fifteen different films, and in twenty twenty that dropped down to 38 which isn't you know for, for the average person that's still like you know, a, a good sized number but it's way off from what i would normally see it's not just about going to the the cinema and watching the film it's about that excitement on a monday when the cinema listings come out and, and planning my free time around it and finding out if I'm going to be able to see, like, three films in a day or even four which I've managed time and, you know, going go there and just escaping from the world and just in my own little thing, you know, that, that's that been been taken away from me. Even though I, of those 38 films I saw, I did manage to see some really good ones. Even little things like watching trailers, that that excitement was taken away from me because it just, it felt like, you know, What's the point? There was this uncertainty about, you know, whether I'd, I'd actually get to see these films or seeing trailers for. And it, and it really took, took a toll on me. And when cinemas opened, I did manage to get to see some really good films and get that enjoyment again. But there was always this thing in the the back of my mind, but was this little bit of anxiety when I was going off. How many people are going to be in the cinema? Uh, Is there going to be enough space around me so I can comfortably watch the the films and that sort of thing? And even though I always enjoyed the film when I was there, there was always that little niggling thing about other people. In a weird sort of way, there was... At first, when the film started, like your big blockbusters like Black Widow, James Bond, when they first started to get cancelled, it really, as well as bringing home to me how serious this situation was, it was a real... sort. It really was a downer for me. But as time went on, when these films were starting to um, to get rescheduled to next year, I found it a relief because it's one thing going to the cinema and seeing a small independent film where there's very few people in there. I would not have been able to look forward to, say, seeing Black Widow or A Time to Die, something like that, knowing that it was probably going to be a packed cinema even with the spacing that they put around, I would not have been able to in, enjoy that. And I'll be be honest, as much as I, I do miss cinema and I, I miss the experience, when Cineworld closed, I was kind of a little bit relieved because it took that choice away from me, that sort of that thing of having to go to the cinema and use my Cineworld card. It it took mm. that choice out of it, And so I could kind of just sort of relax on, on that respect. I have to say, this is probably sounding like a real... Down uh, about us. <laughs> the, the thing is, on the plus side, films were probably never more important to me than they were this year. I'm not saying that I work on the front line, but I do work with the general public. I work in a shop, and so back in March, when things were really, really getting serious, it was really difficult for me to actually um, to switch off. Because on a daily basis, I could see the crisis worsening and people getting more and more worried. And it affecting business, the fact that, you know, the businesses were sort of ill-prepared and didn't know how to handle this situation. And there was always sort of scare stories that the supermarkets were going to run out of food. And so when I went home on an evening, I got into the routine of putting on a film that I knew and I would enjoy just to escape from everything. Weren't necessarily like feel good movies. They were just films that I knew that I would enjoy. So, things, for example, like The Terminator, Arthur, Airplane, Hard Boiled, The Crow, Gross Mm -hmm. Point Blank, films that I sort of could rely on that I put on DVD and sit back and just forget about everything. And it worked. I would actually put, I would have these films on, on an evening. I'd turn the, the lights off as much as possible. I'd just, you know, turn the phone off and just immerse myself. And I could feel myself relaxing. Any tension that I built up in, in the day and every worries, I kind of just sort of like, you know, slipped away. And it just made me realize how important films are. There's this thing about films that, so much negativity about, you know, debating about them and sort of, you know, analysing as works of art and, and sort of trying to put other people down for, for what films they like and all these rivalries between all franchises and stuff. But to me, it was like really sort of the, the positives that film thing, that, you know brings to you, the enjoyment. And it, it went further in, into my streaming, because when lockdown came along, the, the cash that I would normally have spent to go into the cinema or on the cinema world card uh, i actually used to subscribe to some of the amazon channels so stuff like shudder stars and and arrow and i ended up watching lots and lots of you know new movies old movies some really weird b-movie classics exploitation films i ended up watching a lot of horror movies admittedly i 've found some real stinkers in there, but I also discovered some like really cool little gems, some like real really old films that i i 'd never come across. I, I spent one afternoon just watching spaghetti westerns that i 'd never heard of, and of course, the, you know, the streaming services really really came through sort of, you know Netflix had some great movies on there, Amazon prime managed to buy some more Apple had some so for all the sort of the, the worry about cinema and everything. And, and I'm no expert, I've no idea what's going to happen to the cinema experience, I, I've no idea how the film industry is going to react to um, all of this. The one thing that out of this sort of crappy situation is is it really reaffirmed how worthwhile to me my, my love of movies are. And even if, and I hope the cinema experience continues, I'm sure it will, but if it changes, if it doesn't, there's still going to be great movies out there. You know, you you can't stop the creative Mm. people who write and direct and act in these movies. The business might change, but they're not going to wait. Those people's passion is going to be there. They will get their stories onto the screen, even if it's just onto streaming or or any other sort of thing. There's still going to be great movies made. There's always going to be films. And that is the one thing that that I'll take away from, from this year is... Films still will find a way to get out there. And I realise that I've not actually mentioned any films in in this, the ones which I enjoyed, and that's because uh, in a few weeks' time I'll be writing my annual um, top 11 films of uh, 2020. Most uh, film charts go up to 10. Mine always go up to 11 because they're one louder. And so, <laughs> and, and and I have to say, I am actually quite looking forward to sitting down and putting together my top 11 it's because it's going to be such a different list. Because as much as I've missed the blockbusters, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things that will be putting in there. And for the first time in years, it won't be a Marvel movie that talks for top 11. So, the one thing I say is, it's been a crap year for cinema, it's been a crap year for some, it, it, that experience you know, you find another way to, to get your fix. And to me, great movies are still out there. And, and I am confident that movies will survive.
0: Thank you for that, Darren. Uh, it was certainly heartfelt. And I think mm. something there that, that needs to be said is you only have to look through Twitter and you only have to look through social media to see the amount of people that have relied on film to get them through it this year. On some of the followers that we have, you see the people writing down that they've, gone home for an evening and watched their favorite film which as Darren said may not be a happy film but it's something that's reaffirmed in them and give them that strength to carry on I think that's really important Mm. one of my favorite films of all time is a film called Sullivan's Travels by Preston Sturges I don't know if anybody's seen that but the whole thing of Sullivan's Travels is he's a filmmaker and he wants to make the great American Story, a sort of Greek, a wrath so story. It's set the film set in the forties. It was made in the forties. A number of incidents happen to him, and in the end, he ends up in a prison. And he's sitting in his prison along with other prisoners, and it's a horrible life. And once a week, they get to see a film, and he sits in this community with these other people, and they watch and they laugh together at this really silly entertainment that's on screen. But it's something that gives them hope. And I think that is something with cinema that regardless of what form we see it in, I do think that cinema is on the whole life affirming. And I think what you said there, Darren, reinforces that. I don't know if anybody else has got any comments.
3: It's amazing how Darren and I can be different ages, different worlds and different parts of the country, et cetera. And what he described is basically my cinema life as well. So that whole thing of like Monday evening, looking for the cinema times and when can you fit those in and keeping a diary of all the films you've watched and all that sort of stuff. And he hit the nail on the head about all the things I've been missing. And I know it's like first world problems and all of that, but you know, right now, you just need something to cheer you up a bit, don't you? you?
0: You need something to get you through it. That's that's absolutely true. You, you know, mental health is extremely important.
2: Mm. Mm. The second lockdown, when I couldn't play golf or you just go out for a walk or something, you couldn't do anything. I was sort of watching three films in an evening. Just needed something to uh, stop thinking. Really, it's been very important. That's a very good comment, there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, although I will say I'm not impressed with Stars, Darren. They just bought up the entire series of The Stand.
4: Oh, for one next so year.
0: Yeah, they, it starts on Stars on the third of January.
4: Hmm. It's very cheap, though, so, I think. It's like four ninety nine. I think you can. Yes, it, it is.
0: is. Yeah, yeah. I might have to just because uh, I want. And uh, they're going to bring out an episode a week of it. I think.
2: And the one so, thing I am disappointed in is Disney Plus.
3: Well, see, I'm. I think we've discussed this before, but I've got kids, and Disney Plus is like. Oh yes, yeah, restful. yeah, okay. Disney Plus for the yeah the kids. At the end of February, they're going to be adding in um, like more adult films. That mm. Sounds bad, doesn't it?
4: We've got one division starting as well in January. Mm, that's true.
1: Graham, over to you. Thanks, gentlemen, for sharing your comments. I really enjoyed that. I really did. I mean, for me. 2020 started so well. I just thought this is going to be a hell of a year and then the bat virus arrived and we all huddled in our homes like right? the frightened people of Gotham while outside the forces of good and evil fought. The first 10 weeks of the this year were great. We had, as everybody said, Jojo Rabbit. I mean, Taito Waitiki's <laughs> masterclass in getting the comic tone right. And then yeah. 2017 Sam Raimi's single shot uh, you know, war epic. Uh, I mean, okay, we can all agree it should be a bit. Did
0: he transpose uh, Evil Dead to it then? Did he?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it should have been gayer. That's the only San thing.
3: Mende. Ever- no. Sam Mende Mendes. 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 What did
1: I say? Sam <laughs>
3: Yeah. I was thinking. Hang on a minute. He's got hey, Spider-Man <laughs> on
1: his mind. All <laughs> right. Yeah. Start yeah. again. Uh, quickly followed by uh, Sam Mendes uh, and
0: Director Doyle.
1: And Director Doyle, yeah. God, I'm doing this. But it was a team effort, that film. I thought Roger Deakins uh, and uh, Thomas Newman's score created just a, a fantastic cinematic experience and really, really pulled me in. Uh, like no other film's war film done since, was it Soul Dibbs' Journey's End? I thought, which I thought mm. was just a wonderful, wonderful film. And then I got to have one of those wonderful cinematic moments that you only get in the cinema. When I watched uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women with a bunch of well-read book fans who'd all read the book and they were laughing and gasping in all the wrong places and it Hmm. suddenly made me realise that, uh, oh, hang on, there's another layer to this film that I'm not aware of and they were getting more fun from this film than I was and uh, despite the fact I loved it I thought it was great and then I went with Neil to see Parasite mm. and was mesmerized by this movie everything just everything was perfection with that and then in March we had the personal history of David Copperfield, Amanda O'Nucci just knocking oh. it out of the park Um, never have donkeys and drinking sherry before (laughs) so hilarious, I mean it was just great (laughs) and then finally in a desperate rush to our local multiplex to catch uh, Pixar's Onward and then it was all over, then that was the end of cinema the rug got pulled out from under our feet and the first ten weeks I'd had a great time and now my drug of choice had been taken away from me and I had to Beg for scraps like a poor junkie in front of the TV for the rest of the year, and then, of course, in April, my dearly beloved brother John died, and that sent me into a spiral of quite, quite uh, bad depression about everything. But um, you know, I read a lot of um, stuff from friends with my brother who said, you know, he'd always been a great influence on them and a great person. And I thought, yeah, I really need to pick myself up and start paying attention to my own sort of mental health. So I spent the next two months after his death watching classics. Just like Darren said, you just you just got to, it's your comfort food. It really is, you know. Mm. And as well, I've spent the last two and a half to three years with a group of film nuts and film fans, and that's you guys in case you didn't notice them. And it just made me realise that, yeah, I love these things, these little, you know, shining lights on a wall. And it's just wonderful. So I went into retrospective mode. I just sat and watched dozens of films. I watched everything that Heo Miyazaki has produced. I watched all of his Mm -hmm. films. And then um, I sat down and watched every Vietnam War film I could Watch. I watched Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter, Platoon, Casualties of Wars, We Are Soldiers, Born on the Fourth of July, The Five Bloods, Good Morning Vietnam, Rescue Dawn and Hamburger Hill in a month. And I just sat down and watched them. But as an older man now, because I'd seen them when I was a young man, and wow, did I get a lot more out of them this time around. And that pulled me together. So... Cinema and podcasting has been, you know, saved my year and it's been a shit year, uh, doubly shit for me, I think. But um, yeah, I just um, now looking forward to getting back to normality and storming through some great films next year. You know, we've got loads of new things in the, what did you call it? The Marvel's franchise, was it? Um, To look forward to We've got Morbius, we've got Black Widow, we've got Venom, we've got Shang-Chi, we've got lots and lots of stuff coming out. I cannot wait. Hmm. So that's my year. Yeah, a tough one. But, it is, yeah. yeah tough, but I just absolutely loved all of the stuff I've seen and all of the stuff I just buried myself in. The Miyazaki stuff was just, you know, he is the Japanese uh, Disney
2: Yes, I had to and watch Porco Rosso three times just for the, the just fun of it. Yeah. The problem
0: yes. is I won't watch a lot of these films, so they do dub versions. But um, oh, if you had to take one film away from this year, and I'm not saying something made this year, but overall, you know, something you watched this year from whatever period of cinema history it was that really meant a lot to you, what would
1: it Probably uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, because I really, really had to stop myself from putting my foot through the TV. <laughs> I, I don't think there's many films where you get so annoyed and you just think, that man is a brilliant actor because I hate him. you know. And that judge, I just wanted to throttle him, especially the line, overruled, but nobody objected, Your Honour. Mm. Yeah. It was just like... It was just great and I thought all the characters were fantastic and that guy, the other, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, I thought he was brilliant because it's definitely not the same guy as well I've known. Yeah, it's just, it's been a, I think, Jeff, you're, you're wrong, it's been a hell of a year of cinema and it would have been fantastic. And we what we did was they pulled everything back and everything's waiting and we're about to be, we're kids going to be let back in the sweet shop next year.
0: Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I I think you're right. I I always look. I'm Welsh. You know, we don't <laughs> do half. We don't do half, fun. No. Half, half full or half empty. It's half empty, and some bastard's drilling underneath. Who spi- uh,
2: who spilt my pint? Not half full or half empty. Yeah. Some bastard has spilled my pint. Yeah,
0: I was going to sum this up by saying, "Thank you for a fascinating and slightly honest, depressing discussion." But it wasn't depressing. Do you know what? Yeah. To, to listen to all of you guys <clears throat> talk about your stuff and and the way you felt this year going through cinema, I think—and I'm being honest now—this uh, is not scripted. You can see the script. I think has given me hope for the future that there are many, many people out there like you, people that. Are looking forward to getting back to a cinema, getting back to great films. We may not always agree; we don't, and I think that makes great entertainment in itself. That we can sit here and take the piss out of one another, which is also <clears throat> a very British thing. But it's a, a, a you know a great British friendship thing,
2: mm. and
0: I really appreciate being here this evening, listening to you people, sharing with me, and sharing with our listeners what you felt about this year, what you felt about the films, what you felt about the cinema, and what you felt about life overall. And I think that's really important. And I think that's what makes the bond uh, of cinema people quite important. You know, where I grew up, not many people went to the cinema, and it was very difficult to find people who had that love of cinema at that time. It just didn't happen. And over the years, uh, I've made some great friendships with people both in and outside the industry, who share the same passion that I do. And I am really honored uh, this evening to be on this show with you four. So thank you very much for what's been a fantastic discussion. Thank you, Jeff. Thank That's you, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was. You're right. And it's a passion, isn't it? It, yeah. it, is a passion. it is a passion. And I think now we'll talk Darren Stash. Graham. <laughs>
1: Every month, Darren talks about the films we haven't been able to catch up on. This year, he gave some great recommendations and, on more than one occasion, taken one for the team by watching films best avoided. (coughs) Netflix. Um, (laughs) He watches them so we don't have to. However, there have also been some gems in there. So, Darren, the big question is, which one out of all the Dash films you've watched this year would you recommend above everything
4: else? Okay, so um, I counted down I've actually covered 30 films in my dash this year. And the one that stood out and my big recommendation is The 800. If you have missed seeing big epic blockbusters and you don't mind the film with subtitles, this is the film you need to check out. It's a Chinese film. It's uh, directed by someone called Guan Hu. And it takes place during the start of the Japanese-Chinese War in 1937. And it deals with a battle where the Chinese army that was basically getting absolutely slaughtered was in retreat. And a regiment gathered together at a warehouse in Shanghai, to basically make a a last heroic last stand to try and basically delay the the advancement of the Japanese army. And the battle took place right across the river in plain view of a a demilitarised zone that was actually owned by the, the European forces. It was kind of like a neutral territory. So as life was going on as normal there, they could see the battle taking place across the water. It's an absolutely spectacular war movie. There's a whole variety of different battle scenes. There's the hand-to-hand battles, there's air battles, to artillery, so of close combat. It's got at times the sort of the tension and the uh, the action of films like Saving Private Ryan and Dunkirk, especially because you've got a lot of the. the the characters in there are drafted troops or the captured deserters who've been forced into this position. And their main goal is simply to survive. But there's lots of different stories going on from both sides of this river as this thing's going on. And it's just an amazingly epic movie. It looks gorgeous for some great cinematography, for some great scenes that the, like I say, the war scenes themselves are breathtaking. And it really does get emotional. In my original review, I did point out that at times it did start to feel a little like a propaganda piece. But that's something you could say about pretty much um, most war movies on on some level. I was absolutely stunned by this movie. I thought it was absolutely epic. It didn't get a whole lot of publicity. I was quite lucky to be close to a cinema where actually has sort of films like this because there wasn't anything else on that week they actually put it in their biggest cinema which was great because there was only four other people in there so they're all spread out massively they really deserve to be seen on a massive screen because it was just the scale of it was just so big so that is the film that i really recommend Um, if if anything from any of the uh, my 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 dashes that is the one to go for. And and again, it's called The 800. I'm sure it'll be on streaming somewhere or DVD. I really do recommend you checking out.
3: I was going to jump in and say, it's still not available anywhere, damn it, because I have looked for it since we discussed it. Um, I think it's just outrageous that you've picked the most boring thing because you got for the number one grossing film in the world. I mean, honestly...
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're um, so mainstream. <laughs>
3: <Dan>. um, <laughs> worth, I just looked this up. The, these are the top five grossing films of 2020. So prepare to be amazed. So the, the 800 is number one. Bad Boys for Life oh, is number no, two. No, no. No. Tenet is number three. Can't <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog is four. And Doolittle is five.
0: I watched Doolittle the other <laughs> night, right? Robert Downey Jr. doing it in a Welsh accent because the guy that wrote the book did it in a Welsh accent. The thing is, I thought, this character's extreme. But he's based his character on Dr. William Price. Now, if you come from Pontypridd like I do, you know William Price is a big folk hero. He reintroduced cremation into this country when he burnt his daughter, who I hasten to add was dead. Um, <laughs> that's sort
1: of important. That's the point Yeah, it is
0: rather Wonder important, isn't it? Common. Uh, he, he was a oh, druid. Oh he, was, <laughs> he was barking mad, but a genius. And that's how Danny Junior, he said that was his main inspiration. So while I didn't like it when I watched it, I got a love for it after I read up on it.
3: I've I've just spotted an anomaly in the top grossing movies of this year. Do you want to hear it? It's exciting. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> Mul- Mulan, which didn't have a cinema release in the US or Europe or Australia, I think, is the 12th highest grossing cinema release. In just the world. because of China. Yeah. Yeah. That's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. That's how that's how odd this year is. Um, <laughs> by the
4: way, the breaking news, yeah. um, the eight hundred is available on DVD from the twenty second of March.
0: Oh, of course. Twenty second oh. of March.
2: Twenty second of March.
1: Thank yeah. you very much. Mission accomplished.
0: Darren's Dash every month is is great fun, and like we say, we use it to pick out films that we want to see, and sometimes we use it to pick up films we want to talk about, but never have to watch ourselves. Thank you. <laughs> very much yes thank you for that
1: as for next month it is our year start show and as cinemas are still struggling for movies we will announce our awards for 2020 including including my favourite the award for the best Mel Gibson film of 2020 Jeff for crying out loud
3: we will talk about some of the talented film folk who sadly passed away in 2020. And we look forward to what we would like to see in 2021. So, gentlemen, I can
1: safely announce that's a wrap and another at the flicks is in the can.
0: i tell you what the listeners want more of in 2020. My excellent Neil impression, which got mentioned on BBC Radio, by the way. Oh, good God. I bet my golf swing is also better.
2: Hey true. You're my golfing mentor. I imagine your head on the ball as I hit it. It goes further that way. <laughs> and to everyone else. Thanks for listening and have a happy new year.
1: make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast please subscribe to at the flicks at our website at the and if possible please remember to rate and review at the flicks wherever you get your podcasts you can contact the team on twitter or by email our contact details are also on our website at theflicks.uk. thanks for listening